Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tato el horihori ki te reo irarangi o Aotearoa. You're with Our Changing World on Radio New Zealand National. And now, bald parrots. The annual Bird of the Year competition has just started, so we thought we should give tonight's show an avian flavour. Tiritiri Matangi Island near Auckland is a bit of a native bird maker, but the kakariki or red-crowned parakeets that live there have a problem. They're losing feathers and some of them are quite bald. Alison heads there to join a team from Auckland Zoo, which is an ongoing disease screening programme for the birds, and the first person she meets is birdkeeper Emma Wells. So for the last oh, six days we've been out trying to catch kakariki. We've um, been lucky enough to catch 60 so far. Bethany Jackson from Murdoch University is doing biopsies. She's done biopsies on the first 50 birds. Basically for all of them we're looking at disease. We're taking blood samples, feather samples. Bethany's main focus is looking for the skin mite, also the mange mite. So this is a little mite that's microscopic, you can't see it, and it burrows down around the feather follicle and pushes the feathers out. So over the last few years we've seen a lot of fairly bald and mangy looking birds. And from Bethany's PhD, that's what we've discovered. It's the skin mite. Look, we've just got a fern bird just in the, oh, in the wow. grass. Can you see it moving? <laughs> I can see the grass rustling. The bird life out here is fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's so. mid-morning now, and you've been out since dawn, basically? We've been basically? out since 6 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, so the weather's been a bit iffy this morning, but we've had five, five birds already, um, which I've processed. So that's just involved banding them, weighing morphometrics, um, taking blood samples. Um, last year we caught 74, so that's where we're aiming to get that or beyond. So you're just putting up some more mist nets now, so the mist nets are how you're going to catch the birds? That's right, yeah. So we've got um, a couple of lines of mist nets and we're trying to make them as invisible as possible. Um, we're trying to find spots with no wind, um, low sunlight. You want a backdrop of vegetation. There's the fern. <laughs> Sorry, this fern bird just keeps fluttering around in front of us. <laughs> so mist nets are designed to be invisible to flying birds, aren't they? Absolutely. They're really fine. In the right light, you can't see them at all. It's really hard to see. They don't hurt the birds whatsoever, but when they hit, they just fall into the pocket and we get there as quickly as possible and we take the bird out. So tell me a bit more about this disease screening you're doing. Why are you doing it here? Initially, when Bethany did her PhD, it was thought um, the mangy birds had uh, beacon feather disease. From further research, she's discovered it's a skin mite causing the feather loss. So what we want to know is how it's related to weather patterns, to food availability... We're looking at if it's causing issues with breeding. Last year, for instance, we had a really, really low survivability of the chicks. That's, sorry, that's another part of our study. We're actually doing a, a nesting study as well. So Nat and I monitor 50 nests. Um, last year we had no survivors, but also bellbirds, and um, he, he had really poor um, breeding success last year, so we think there was a very little food around. We're just looking how they all, sort of all these things connect together because we had such poor success last year, what we think we're seeing now um, is the really mangy birds. We've got, so far, we've got about 56% of all the birds we've caught, of the 60 birds we've caught with uh, mange. Whereas the previous year we had a fantastic breeding season and the birds we caught were in brilliant condition. So we are seeing some sort of correlation with the food availability and, and the mange. 
Okay, all right, we've got one. I'll we've got one? We've okay. just been told that you've caught one. Yeah, so this one just hit the net um, and we managed to get him out quite quickly, which was good because they have quite sharp beaks, so we're always keen to get them out quickly and smoothly. And um, so he looks like a male, he's got a large beak, so we'll be processing him now with Emma. So at the moment he's being hidden in a at dark At the moment he's in a bag. dark bag and we're going to pop him into a little box while we get everything ready and then he'll be, he'll be processed. And he is unbanded, so this is a new individual and he looks really good. Um, a lot of the ones we've been capturing here have some feather loss, so this one, yeah, is new this year. So we're setting up. So you've done a few birds, so you've got quite good at this. Yes, I think Emma's on her sixth today, and then, yeah, in the whole study we've done several hundred over the years, so, um, yes, we're getting used to it now. <laughs> Have they're really gorgeous birds. Would you like to paint us a little word picture of what they look like? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, would, would, you, would I like to paint one? I was say, if you've ever seen my painting, you, you wouldn't want that. Yeah, they are beautiful birds. So we sometimes refer to them as red bandits, and I guess because they've got this lovely red front with a stripe of red that goes across their eyes. Um, but the bird itself is a lovely green colour. And you've got some beautiful blues that come through just over the shoulder of the wings. Um, and actually, if you extend out their wings, some of them have almost a pale yellow stripe underneath as well, um, which seems to go away a little bit with age. But yeah, they're just quite luminous and it's really gorgeous. And they've got orangey red eyes and a really interesting yeah. silver, almost like a silver cover to the top bill. This bird might be a younger bird because it's got a really beautiful, clean, silvery grey beak. Um, as they get older it gets a bit more rigid and, and I guess weathered looking as we all do. The young birds are definitely quite glorious when they come out of the nest, the, the fledglings, because their feathers are that real iridescent green and they've got this beautiful clean beak. Yeah, they're really gorgeous. So 132 grams. That's with the bag. So the bag is 48 grams. He's got a little bit of feather loss on his head. Mm -hmm. with that. That's probably a grade one, grade one feather yeah. loss. And tiny yep. bit around the eye. Okay. So there's three grades, um, up to grade three, which is the most severe, and that's when they've got a lot of feather loss on their body as well as their head. This one's just got a little bit around his eye and on his head. So he's a mild case. So are they feisty birds or nice and calm birds? Um, he's a little bit feisty. He's a big boy. Comparing to. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually, I think, as parrots go, they're pretty calm. Um, that's not to say they don't try to have a little nibble, but compared to your carker and some others that I think would, would get their beaks around a bit quicker. 21.4 for Tarsus. 21.4. So you're basically taking all the significant body measurements? Yeah, and those, some of those measurements tell us if it's a male or a female, and some of them are just to look at, you know, for their size, if they perhaps have a disease, did that change their general condition or size? Uh, 134 for tail. And condition? Either good to very good. Yeah, I'd agree. I'll go good. Good. Okay, banding. So how many bands are you going to put on it? Um, what have we got today? We've got four, so... Yep. red, purple and yellow metal. A lot mm -hmm. of bling. So next step, blood samples? Yeah, so just taking a small blood sample from the wing. And you've put blood on a couple of slides, you've got yeah, some blood so, on bits of paper. Yeah, we've got, we've got little dots of blood everywhere here, but not too much. Um, so the blood on the slides tells us if they're in good general health, and the dots on the paper, um, we'd use that to test for a range of diseases. Malaria, you can use it for beak and feather disease virus. And then this in the little puddle, we can use to look at their red blood cells and white blood cells and just get a feel for their general health status.
So all these go into individual bags and get frozen now because um, we're trying to preserve the DNA in the sample. Um, so that's the blood on the filter paper. Just and where do all these samples go for analysis? Different laboratories. So we've got um, a great um, collaboration with Arvin Varsani at um, University of Canterbury who tests for beacon feather disease virus and he's done the majority of the testing in New Zealand for that. So um, some will go to there. Um, others will store because in the future if something we discover something we can go back and check those samples and see if historically it was present. So some of it's just for banking for future research. So the only thing the bird is actually complaining about is having his photo, <laughs> is having the photo taken. That's yeah, hilarious. We, we like the mug shots at the end. Okay. It's a good comparison for later years. Um, we've had a few recaptures, some who've had quite a bit of um, mange uh, a couple of years ago when Bethany sampled them, and then we've caught them again. And they've returned. Yeah, they've, they've recovered. Not completely, but you know, we have yeah. seen a recovery in them. Yeah. All right, I'm going to let this little guy go. <laughs> So I have to say, you let it go, and it departed in haste. Yeah, it certainly did. He was he was happy to be gone and go back go back home and find something to eat. This particular area, Nat and I are doing our nesting study. So we have 50 nest boxes around Wattle Valley and Doug's Alley. So from October to March, we're monitoring those nest boxes. So the more birds we have banded in the study area, the easier it is for us to follow pairs, and hopefully we'll get um, get them nesting year after year, um, so much easier for us to follow. But they haven't started nesting yet? Not yet, no. Um, we think we'll probably go early this year, but you never know. Generally we'll have chicks about Christmas time, uh, but possibly a little bit before. So Nat, you're part of the zoo crowd out helping today. <laughs> yeah, so, so the nets are back up and running. Um, the birds have just started to move again, so from about now, so from around sort of 2 o'clock, until dusk, the birds will start moving again, so hopefully we'll get a, a few more catches in before that. And Josie, you're one of the volunteers out here today helping? Yes, yep, currently helping with the kakariki catching. So you've had a slow, quiet day just sitting watching mist nets? Yeah, not much action. I've taken one bell bird out so far, but uh, the middle of the day is usually pretty quiet. We're really lucky with the amount of support we've got for this project. Um, so there's, there's Auckland Zoo and there's a team of us um, helping with that. We've got sort of people coming and going for the 10 days we're out here. But we're also, you know, lucky enough to have support from Murdoch University in, in Australia. We've got Bethany Jackson over helping with that. We've had huge support from supporters of Tiritiri Matangi. Yeah, there's um, been a few of them stationed around the mist nets today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been helping extract birds and, and, um, and also Massey University um, are also helping. So, yeah, it's great collaboration between a lot of different partners in the project. It's great. And people get to learn some new skills, so birds aren't normally your thing? No, um, my day job, I work with giraffes and rhinos. Um, so, you know, to, to come out and, and do some, some conservation for, for New Zealand native fauna is, is really special, and I'm learning new skills. And, yeah, I found out that I, I quite like birds, which surprised me more than, than anyone. <laughs> oh, and here's another bird already. Yeah, it just flew into the net. There was another one nearby that, that went under. So this is a grade three... So grade three, this is a particularly bald one. Yeah, so this one's got a lot of feather loss on her head and also all down her neck and the front of her. And you do feel for them. I mean, it's winter and you think they've lost all those lovely down feathers that they tend to have on their body. So um, having said that, we do have some that have recovered. So we do have evidence that they can get over this, but we don't know if all of them do. So if 
one or both of the parents have it, does that mean the chicks are going to get the mites as yeah, well? it's quite interesting. This mite, the family it comes from, they don't tend to affect chicks, they tend to affect adults more. So Nat and Emma have been studying the nesting kakariki and they've found that the chicks are fledging looking completely normal, even though their parents might be completely bald. Having said that, there's a good chance they're carrying the mites and as an adult they might end up developing the condition. We also know that the birds on Little Barrier Island carry the mites too, even though they were looking normal when we sampled them. So we suspect this mite could be quite widespread in New Zealand in the parakeets. We don't think it's just confined to Tiritiri. So some of them have the mites, but they're just not getting the mange yeah, and associated pretty, with it. Pretty typical with parasites that, you know, if you're run down or perhaps you haven't got the best um, habitat or resources at a certain time, you might be more likely to get parasites, worms, things like that. So we expect that it's associated with periods where perhaps they're a bit stressed from the climate or, or habitat or something like that. Where did the birds here on Turi come from? These birds were captive released in the 70s, so they came from a captive breeding program. It's interesting because in the captive parakeet world, um, red crown parakeets are really popular, or kakariki are really popular as pets, and there's lots of reports of this type of condition. So there's reason to believe that perhaps this mite has been associated with them for a long time. But what's different is over the last sort of 10, 15 years, it sounds like we're seeing a lot more of the condition in the wild um, than there used to be. Um, so we don't necessarily think this mite's a new thing, but um, something's new about why we're seeing it expressed in the population so much. And it's specific to red crown parakeets? It has been described once in 1967 in a lovebird in Zambia and then nothing had been talked about of it or seen of it until we found it in these parakeets. So that's certainly an unusual geographic um, range. <laughs> what I would suspect is that it's been not identified a lot and we have since we found it, we have found it in a couple of captive parakeets, including a yellow-crowned and an antipodes parakeet. So, yeah, we've got reason to believe it might be in all the parakeets, and what we're interested in now is to test some other populations and also to see if it's carried by the eastern rosella. And the eastern rosellas are very common around Auckland, is that They're right? Very common around the North Island, so the eastern rosellas, um, naughty Australians that were brought over and um, spread around um, on the North Island particularly, and they, they also carry the virus, beacon feather disease virus, which has spread into native parrots or is also in native parrots. We're not sure whether they had it first or whether they got it from the rosellas yet. So what's the importance of this kind of disease screening where you bring a whole lot of people out to the island for a week, you try and catch a whole lot of birds, screen them what are you going to do with that information and why is it important to have it? Yeah, it's a lot about creating baseline disease surveillance for New Zealand's birds. Disease is something that's always been part of wildlife ecology. Um, it's not something new, but given the rate of change um, in terms of habitat change, climate change, wildlife's under increasing pressures from all directions, including predators, and really disease is just a yet another threat that we want to be keeping tabs on and seeing if there's something new coming into the country. Um, and so by creating these baselines, we can see what's normal and that way in the future if we find something abnormal um, or find an outbreak we can sort of um, have that benchmark but yeah it's also because the reality is we are seeing more and more disease in wildlife Tasmanian devil facial tumour disease has caused more than 80% of them to decline in the wild in the US we're seeing fungal diseases in bats wiping out millions of bats all across the USA so disease is becoming a, an issue for wildlife and I think that's because they're increasingly fragmented and under pressure 
Chytrid fungus from frogs. Chytrid fungus from frogs. another one that New Zealand has. Yep, and in, exactly. And and look, a lot of these diseases, again, they're, they're not necessarily abnormal, but because of the pressures that wildlife are under, they're increasingly stressed and they're succumbing to things that perhaps historically they would have been able to, to fight off. So what we're looking at here is trying to increase the resilience of populations and anything we can do that gives us a, a clue to whether they're coping or not coping, including disease, um, is something we're interested to learn more about. So is a lot of this related to the fact that we, humans, are moving around the world a lot more and then we're also moving animals around? Yeah, absolutely. When you look at the numbers for the global trade in wild species or exotic species, it's, it's really concerning and disturbing and that's the way that we move these, these diseases around the world at a rate that they would never have done so in the past. So, yeah, there's just incredible avenues for diseases to spread very quickly um, throughout the world. And, and we've seen that one of the major concerns at the moment is a new fungus like chytrid fungus for frogs that's affecting salamanders and it's currently in Europe and the USA and Canada are extremely concerned about, um, as it appears to have come from Chinese salamanders um, that are traded heavily in the pet trade, um, they expect that it will arrive into those countries in the near future. So yeah, border security is very important, but yeah, it's definitely we're contributing to it through all our global movements of animals as well as ourselves. And that was Vet Bethany Jackson from Murdoch University in Australia. And Emma Wells and Nat Sullivan are keepers at Auckland Zoo. And voting is open now for Bird of the Year, birdoftheyear.org.nz. And Alison is campaign manager for Albatross. So why vote Albatross, Alison? Because they're such extraordinary ocean wanderers, yet every year thousands of them drown in longline fisheries around the world. So albatrosses are both magnificent and threatened. That's what inspires me to campaign for them. And that's convinced me to vote for Albatross. It would be the first seabird to become Bird of the Year. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.